Hello and thanks for listening. This is Embodied Astrology and this is Renee. In this episode, I'll be looking at the chart for the Libra New Moon, October 8th, 2018. And I'll be also talking about the last couple of weeks since the full moon in Aries and the next couple of weeks until the full moon in Taurus. Embodied Astrology is a study of astrology through the lens of the body. I come from my background as a somatic movement educator and an artist, and think of astrology as a symbolic language and a creative language. Um, this is a way that I understand to access intuition. The planets and the signs are representative of movements of light and magnetics that are happening in the universe all the time and that our bodies are subject to. Um, but they also draw upon our cultural mythologies and collective unconscious. And when an astrologer reads, I think that she takes all of that information into herself in some way, into themselves in some way. And the associative mind then connects different stories and ideas together. Um, so as you listen to me, take what works and leave the rest and get curious about your own experience. You can find out more about astrology at embodiedastrology.com and there you'll find a, a short piece of writing on this new moon. You'll find affirmations for all 12 signs and links to audio horoscopes for all 12 signs as well as a link to a guided meditation that's made specifically for this new moon. So head over to embodiedastrology.com where you can also find um, information about how to support this project. Uh, every month I offer some kind of collection of podcasts around the new and the full moon, guided meditations to help you absorb and integrate this energy, audio horoscopes so that you can um, apply the lunar energy directly to your life and understand um, and contextualize what's going on in your life a little bit better. Um, and all of this is offered for free, so if this work is beneficial for you and you enjoy it, please do consider supporting it in the way that you can. And for a lot of people, this means sharing it, um, sending it with email to your friends and family, or clicking the share and the heart and the like buttons. If you can take a few minutes to comment um, and leave your impressions, tell me what's going on for you, and uh, share your stories, I would love that. I always love to hear from people. Um, and of course, if financial support is in the realm of possibility for you, a couple of dollars, um, maybe even once a month is very, very helpful for me and helps me sustain this project in an ongoing way and continue to offer it for free. And you can find information on donating also at embodiedastrology.com. So thanks for listening. Let's get into the astrology. Um, I'm recording this on October 8th, so this is the morning of the new moon, and the new moon is still about 13 hours away. It's early in the morning, and the new moon is exact this evening, and um, you know, I've recorded this podcast a few times now, and it's uh, not always that it, it takes me so long, but there's so much content, and so I would make a recording, and then I would feel like, you know what, that's not it, and then I would make a recording, and I would feel like, that's not it. Um... And really kept coming back to, I need to describe this as sensation. There has just been so much activity happening in the world in the last couple of weeks, and so much of it is so consuming. And I don't know about you guys in your lives, but my life has been kind of intense in the last couple of weeks, and especially around the themes, I think, that are presented in the new moon chart. So a lot of relationships coming up, and particularly in the relationships, this um, need to be authentic and empowered in my authenticity to not 
lie, to not um, cut corners, to not cut out any part of myself, but to really show up fully in what I know that I stand for. Um, everything that's coming through in the news cycles confirms a sense of um, urgency and also uh, there's there's nothing left to lose-ness. Um, it feels like things have, have reached this kind of boiling point or tipping point and um, I think a lot of people are feeling like that um, whether or not you're paying attention to the Brett Kavanaugh case and what's happening in the U.S. Supreme Court or climate change or war um, or elections in other countries it's just like oh my god we have reached a point that is expressing itself so fully in terms of a certain kind of energy that the option now is only to shift ourselves. Um, so it, it feels like we, we can't really wait for the external circumstances to change anymore. The internal shifts have to happen and they have to happen fast. And that's definitely the feeling of the new moon. So as I go through the chart, I'm going to try an approach um, that I do sometimes, but um, I'll just be naming the aspects and then I'm going to talk about how they feel. And I may throw in some references to what I've been paying attention to in the external world, but I really kind of want to stay in the sensation. I think you can make your own associations fairly easily. Um, and I'll stay out of analysis for now because um, I think that's where I was kind of getting getting caught up before was, um, you know, the, uh, the beauty of astrology in that um, it provides us a language to contextualize our own experiences and that that language can work physically, it can work relationally, it can work environmentally, and of course it can work causally so we can think about the external events through this language as well. Um, that's such a broad language and I keep feeling that politics and news, even the news that is about us all, in a certain way like continues to lead to um, externalization and overemphasis or overfocus on what's going on in the, in the outer world and this kind of anxiety that gets produced from that space. Um, this isn't to say that I don't think it's important that we're all paying a lot of attention because I really do, um, especially if you're um, along with me, kind of part of more quote unquote new age communities, if you are into astrology, if you're a yogi, if you are someone who understands how important it is to do your inner work. Um, for me, at least sometimes I feel like, oh God, I'm doing all this great work. Uh, the people around me are doing great work. I don't know what the fuck is going on outside, but that's not what's happening inside. I think that's true. I also think that it is a real big fat privilege to be able to have that experience and um, to shut out or dissociate or um, shutter in from the experiences that are happening in the world around, um, from people who have less access to that kind of time and space and energy and situations, um, and also from what's happening environmentally, that that's a, a, a real um, oversight and a real poor choice these days. I think we all really need to be pretty tuned in, and more than tuned in, I think we need to be participating. Um, that's one of the themes that definitely comes up for me with these charts is the theme of participation, that it is not about waiting for external circumstances to shift. It's not about waiting for 
um, rulers to somehow get it together and figure out that what they're doing is hurting people. Um, the folks in charge know exactly what they're doing. They're not about to change. They are uh, well cemented in their path to continue to accumulate and condense their power. Um, as people, as citizens, as human beings, it's really up to us to take our power back. So I'm going to start there with this new moon, and I'm going to start with the essence of Libra. So that's where we have the new moon. And regardless of uh, what hemisphere you're in, what part of the globe, um, this is a time that we're coming into after the equinox. So it is the time of, of balanced light at the equinox when night and day are um, equal. <clears throat> but in the northern hemisphere now we're moving into the darker time of the year, and in the southern hemisphere we're moving into the lighter time of the year. And what happens at the equinox, um, which is about the time that I put out the last recording, is that um, there is this kind of internal balancing mechanism that happens and we go, okay, this is a moment to reset, our internal systems go balance, and then we continue to um, move into whatever the next polarity is. And Libra as a sign of balance, I think really speaks to this um, fluctuation that is balance. So for all of you who listen and you are dancers and yoga practitioners and movers, you know so well the experience in your body that balance is a fluid state. It's a constantly shifting story. It's not um, stasis. It's not one thing. And if you've ever done tree pose in a yoga class, you probably know that when you try and hold the pose, it becomes rigid and uh, your balance actually becomes very compromised. But when you let yourself sway, your posture becomes joyful and um, mobile, and it's actually a lot easier to stay in the pose and you have these little fluctuations in it. And, you know, I had a, a teacher once who would always say, like, be a living tree, don't be a dead tree. And I think that this is such a great metaphor for balance that life does not express itself in straight up and downs. It does not express itself in rules. It's constantly shifting and adjusting and modifying and evolving. And one of the places where Libra can get really um, messed up is when it turns into rules. And I think that we see this with the relationship um, in the cardinal signs. And the next cardinal sign after Libra is Capricorn. Um, and so in Libra, we have ideas of justice and ideas of equanimity. It's an air sign. It's talking about the thought process and concepts. And in Capricorn, we have um, the earth output of those ideas. And so we have rules. Libra is also a sign that is described with the uh, um, archetype of the scales of justice. And so we have a female figure with a blindfold on holding scales. And I think this also is a, a really important representation of what this sign is, is that justice has to be embodied. It has to be felt. It can't be looked at objectively. There are always too many sides of the story. There are always too many complexities to take into account. It really needs to be felt. And at this time, um, feeling into the embodied state of, of rules and the quote-unquote justice systems, and I'm going to say systems plural, even though I'm not familiar with the justice systems in most other countries, um, my sense is that this is a, a real global phenomenon right now um, and definitely not encapsulated in the, in the U.S. only. Um, but certain people have a lot more weight 
when it comes to justice and their bodies carry a lot more weight. So if you are a person or if there is a person who is um, a male-bodied person with white skin who's cisgendered, who, who agrees that he is male, um, who's straight and uh, who has some money, who comes from some money, then this person's body is going to carry far more weight than a person whose body is female, um, who's uh, not white, uh, who doesn't have money, who's not cisgendered, who's not straight, right? Um, from a person whose uh, nationality is maybe not of the country that we're considering, from a person who has um, body variances that, that don't go along with the normative standard, from a person who's aging, from a person who's young, right? So there's a lot of different um, uh, things that would come into consideration when we consider how much some someone has weight in terms of the justice system as it stands. And to understand like, you know, okay, so we live in this, uh, these places that have their ideas of fairness and fairness um, is about rules. And the rules get made primarily by the people in power. And when you look at the United States and like everything that happens with people who are seeking justice, um, this happens over and over again, you know, it's, it's something that has really been, I think, a, a travesty of the civil rights movement, is that um, we, we seek justice, you know, we seek to transform the justice system, we seek to make it more just. And those rules get turned by the people who have the money. And so a lot of civil rights legislation has actually ended up in rules that become more punitive and oppressive for women, for people of color that actually lead directly into um, more concretization of the prison industrial complex that lead away from actual freedom and equanimity. So one of the big themes that I think uh, we've been dealing with in these last couple of weeks since the last um, full moon in Aries is justice. And at the full moon in Aries um, two weeks ago, the, the last podcast that got put out, I know that for me, my attention was very much in the balance between self and other. And if you listen to that podcast, I'm like, oh my God, I've been traveling with people. How do we get along? I just want to do my thing. And that's very Aries. Um, the full moon was conjunct Chiron and uh, Chiron is uh, an asteroid that excuse me, it's a centaur planet that describes the experience of learning through our own psycholo psychology. So we go through whatever it is that we're going through. It hurts. It's hard. <laughs> we have to process it. We talk about it. We learn from it. Next time it happens, we know a little bit more. It's not that it doesn't happen again. We just know a little bit more. Um, and then maybe we do it just a little bit better. At the last full moon, um, I think there was there was kind of more um, f for me. I was experiencing more awareness in terms of the balance between you and me, me and anybody else. And in the last couple of weeks, that balance has really been shifting a lot. And my own internal sense of of what's gone on in the full moon cycle, from full moon to new moon, is that the balance uh, between self and other that awareness has now come right into the, the center of ourselves where we go, okay, how much weight am I throwing around 
in my own relationships. Because it can't always be looking at the other person, and we know this, right? It, there has to be a sense of responsibility. And one of the most um, kind of important and, I would say, heavy or weighted aspects that this new moon makes is a square to Pluto. And Pluto um, is moving through Capricorn. You've heard me talk about this transit a lot. It started in 2008. It won't be done until 2025. This is a very long transit, and when these outer planets, um, are, or I should say how these outer planets work, Pluto, Uranus, Neptune, um, they take their fucking time. And this is cultural shift, this is an era, and an evolutionary wave. So in 2008, Pluto entered Capricorn, and Pluto is this force that describes reckoning and reckoning with power. Everything that Pluto is here to teach us about has to do with power. It has to do, I would say, mostly with the ways that we externalize power. And so when we are not really powerful, when we are not full of our own power, and I'll define that a little bit more in a minute, um, then we externalize power, or it gets externalized and we believe it. And power then gets imposed upon other people or structures or, uh, I don't know, circumstances we can't control. And we give our power away and we go, oh, it's, it's your choice. Oh, it's your action. Oh, um, I have to wait for you to do this. Or it's your fault that I'm like this or something like that. And Pluto teaches us ab about power through presenting situations in our lives where we feel powerless often, where we're faced with uh, circumstances that are wild, seem to be wildly out of our control, um, loss and endings and uh, kind of futility are common feelings with Pluto transits, um, struggles that we get into, struggles to control, um, relationship dynamics that feel intense and engaging and like power plays. These are Pluto experiences. Ultimately, Pluto asks us to take up our own power. And astrology is not good or bad, right? It's a language. It's talking about how energy moves. And so what you see is uh, different ways that people take up their own power. And one way, I would say, is an egoic and more fragile way. And one way is an embodied and more sustainable way. So the first way, when we're picking up our power um, by using our egos, this is really when rules come in, right? And it's like, well, you know, I'm going to take my power back and here are my boundaries and these are the rules and you've got to fucking follow them. And we see that played out in whatever ways. And maybe that way is some kind of like relationship example, but we see that um, in law. We see that in relationships between uh, companies or business entities, as well as with uh, people. We also see that in the way that we construct and that we build. And so circumstances that truly are out of our control, like, um, you know, the weather, although we do have some control right now, I think, or at least some influence with climate. Um, but, you know, circumstances happen all the time that we can't control. And then we fortress ourselves. We try and build structures to protect. 
And this is one of the ways that Pluto can act is it can, it can externalize the power. And in Capricorn, I think that it's doing quite a lot of this. So we see the increase, um, you know, kind of more and more money flooding into the military in the United States. And um, as the United States pulls out from social services and from connective agreements, um, agreements with the UN or with other countries, it's fortifying its own shell, its own ego, right? And its defensiveness. And as it does this, then other countries respond and they go, okay, well, we didn't really want to do that. I thought we had this other agreement, but if that's the thing that you're doing, we need to protect ourselves from you. And so then they shore up their military. And this is, I think, one of the most concerning things that we're seeing politically right now is that um, there's a militarization of space, that the United States has really been um, the leaders in this, that there was a global kind of agreement to not militarized space. And the U.S., um, you know, this year with the funding of SpaceX and this like more and more money into the military is starting to militarize space and it's uh, trying to assert its dominion in outer space and to kind of colonize space, right? And so then other countries are going, well, you know, we weren't going to do that, but now since you are, we are too. And this happens in our human relationships too. Right. And um, I've recently gone through a really profound experience with um, a group of people and we've been trying to figure out how to share power. And um, as you know, when one person shores up their defensiveness, then the other people shore up their defensiveness. And when one person gets uh, locked into their story about like, this is, you know, this is what happened to me. This is what you did to me. Then we all do that. And this is what we do in our relationships. Defense is met with defense. And that is one way to take power. And I would say that it's a really, um, you know, inefficient way <laughs> to actually be in power because then you're always trying to guard your own power. You have to, to constantly uphold the rules that you have made. You've got to constantly uphold your own defenses. And this is definitely what we see happening in the quote-unquote justice system, right? There's um, a, a group of people who have been in power for a very long time, and their power has insulated them from a lot of discomfort. I would say it has probably magnified their own internal discomfort, but it has insulated them from a lot of external discomfort. They can basically control their environments in every aspect of their environment, whether that's the climate in their homes or the uh, places that they're traveling or the clothes that they're wearing or the kind of people that they choose to be around. Um, when you have a lot of wealth and privilege, you can control your environment um, pretty successfully, I would say, to a certain extent. And that kind of comfort, um, who wants to let go of that? Who wants to let go of, of feeling like you can control the world or you can control other people and you have this prestige um, and, and other people will defer to you and you have power over them? I do not think that the people who are in charge of making a lot of these rules are very conscious of their own intent, but I also think that maybe they are. <laughs> and I, I don't think power is fully blind all the time. I think that it can really um, manipulate and distort our perspectives of, of life. 
So regardless of whether or not um, there's intent to continue the suffering for others, there is intent to continue the accumulation and the consolidation of power. And then this becomes very fragile because there's always a threat to that power. And anybody who is seeking to poke a little bit at it is then going to be attacked. And they will be attacked viciously and from all angles, whether that is uh, language or finance or safety. This is a lot of what we're seeing play out right now. We're seeing people coming forwards and, and demanding or maybe asking politely or bringing it to your attention that power is out of balance. And then we see the people who have consolidated their power um, fighting that. So this is one example of how power works. And I do want to say that this, uh, that again, my sensation here is that it's important to see the outer world examples so that we can recognize also the inner experience um, because none of us is immune to this. So regardless of your uh, body and the weight that you carry in this world and the layers of intersecting privilege that you um, live with, you are still a person who has an ego and uh, there's a good chance that you have done um, something to the extent that I just said in some place in your life whether it's with um, your parents or your children or your partners or your pets or the world around you, that we all have this instinct. We've all been socialized in societies that believe in this kind of power. This is the dominant era that we live in, is this kind of macho, um, ego-based power this is what, you know, it's all the movies, it's all the TV shows, it's all the fucking music, it's the banking system, it is our ideas of success. Accumulate and condense power. This is supremacy and the, the belief in our bodies, um, the, the instinct that we can be better, right? Like, I'm going to be better than you. I'm going to win. I'm going to have more than you. Maybe there are some people out there who have been raised in um, cultures or families who give different information than that, who, who have learned that they are, are balanced in the world around them and that their power is equal to the power uh, of their community and of their environment. I, I think for most of us who have grown up with any kind of access to media, to radio, to TV, to movies, who have gone to any kind of um, public school, who have been influenced by any <laughs> religion, um, who have somehow been affected by heteronormativity and misogyny, um, we're all running these programs. And it's... Uh, a real blindness and um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, when we ignore that these impulses also live in us, then we continue to perpetuate them in the external world. We continue to find um, actors to play out these impulses. And in a lot of ways, that's what politicians are. 
um, understanding from a kind of astrological sense, like looking at the charts of a lot of politicians and famous people, celebrities, a lot of them uh, have charts that make them containers for collective experience. And if you think about a politician, this is what they are, right? Like they, they have so much projected onto them. They, uh, you know, whether or not they're actually listening to their constituents or just seeking to maintain their own power, they are using the momentum and the impetus of a lot of other people to build themselves, to build their own personalities. So th these, these people aren't just people. They are objects for all of us to project on. And one of the things that I feel is happening so strongly right now is that that dynamic is starting to break. And that with the events that are happening in the outer world, it's just become so absurd. And our, our tolerance is limited for this kind of fantasy. And so people are starting to recognize like, oh, this is up to me. And this is the other kind of power. The other kind of power is when we're confronted with discomfort and we let it in, right? So just think about that for a second. The other kind of power is when we're confronted with discomfort and we let it in. So we don't seek to defend ourselves or shore up or make ourselves better or stronger than the thing that's making us uncomfortable. We're actually letting it in we're taking stock of um, how that feels. We're weighing it in our bodies, right? So we have justice as an embodied experience and as a personal and individual experience that happens in the moment, moment to moment, right? This is, uh, I think, more aligned to what justice actually is. It happens in the moment, moment to moment, in every individual connection. And so in any kind of connection, there's always going to be a balance of power. And that balance of power shifts over time. If you've ever been in one of those relationships where it's like, first you like me, then you're, as soon as I like you, then you don't like me anymore. You know, like we've all experienced that. It's like the balance of power shifts and magnetism works in mysterious ways. And a lot of times what happens is that when we seek to accumulate and condense our own power, um, because this elicits a response in others to accumulate and condense their own power, then we get into struggle and we get into uh, oscillation, like really extreme polarization. But when we let the, the discomfort that arises into our bodies and actually consider it and weigh it out. So if you have power and someone comes to you and says, hey, you're, you're not using your power well, or the way that you're using your power is actually hurting me. It's real easy for any of us, okay, to, to hear that and just take that and uh, imagine it in your own situation. So where is your power? Are you a, a person whose body has more weight for, for some reason, meaning that, you know, for whatever reason in, in the, the mind state of supremacy that we live in, the actual fact of your body means more than the fact of someone's else of someone else's body. Yes, our bodies are the same, blah, blah, blah. We're all pink inside. 
but the external wrapper, the skin, carries so much weight. The genitals carry so much weight. The size and the stature and whether or not the body conforms uh, to standards of beauty, um, the uh, possessions that you have, right? Like what are the things that are giving you weight and privilege in the world? There is probably someone who has less than you, who has less weight. So if you can imagine that that person or those people coming to you and going, hey, the way you're using your power is hurting me. There's a good chance that you would seek to defend, right? Because a lot of us, you know, we're not acting out of the intention to hurt anyone else. We're actually acting from a place where we're seeking to uh, make our lives better. And we have our own experiences and our own struggles and the places where we feel that someone else has more weight than us. And, you know, our intention is good, basically. And then when we hear like, oh, uh, the way I'm using this power, or maybe the way I'm not using my power is hurting someone else. Like I have all this privilege and I'm not doing anything. And now this person is mad at me, but I wasn't doing anything. I was just, you know, growing my garden over there. This can elicit a, a big defensiveness, right? So if we let it in, and sit with it and enter into conversation. Actually, what can happen is that our power can become more sustainable. And this might mean that we have less power, that we have less weight, that we give some of it to someone else. But as we give some of it to someone else, we gain a friend. And I think that this is really where Libra is such an intelligent sign. Libra, when we understand it through the lens of uh, soul-centered astrology, esoteric astrology as delivered through Alice Bailey, Libra is ruled by the planet Uranus in that system. And in the exoteric system, in the, in the kind of classical astrology, Leo is, not Leo, excuse me, Libra is ruled by Venus. So Venus is the planet of love and money. It's relationship, it's also material form, and it's aesthetic. Uranus is an outer planet. It brings sudden awakening and shifts in consciousness. Libra in its potential, in its soul level potential, wakes us up. We wake up through relationship. And in that illumination, we can make really big shifts in our awareness, in our power, um, in our effectiveness, right? And also in our capacity to feel love and to be happy in the world, which is um, a, a Venusian type experience, feeling love and being happy. So I think that this, uh, this idea is, is really kind of an important one to notice right now because it's definitely happening. I think it's happening a lot that people are waking up and there's a lot of education and there's a lot of outcry and a lot of people are listening. White people are listening, men are listening, people who own businesses are listening, people who have money are listening. Yes, it does feel like the world is fucking crazy and the people who make the rules are really not listening. And it's important to see that a lot of people are listening and are seeking to change. And if we can continue this kind of momentum, 
I think this is really in all of our best interest. <laughs> so the in the in the Libra New Moon chart, the square to Pluto, you know, really I, I think describes the process, the evolutionary process of change that a lot of us are going through, where we're recognizing our own power and we're recognizing our own weight and we're wanting to work with it differently. And as we work with it differently, we become softer and more adaptive and we can bend and change and modify and this is balance we can get into balance because it's not about coming up with a new rule you know oh you're unhappy you've been systemically oppressed in this way okay let's make a new rule to protect you that's never going to work rules are hard they come from our minds they are not our lived experience if we can become softer in our own experiences and listen deeper to one another, we'll recognize that sh shifting the experiences is a process. It's an evolution. You know, the, that the people and the animals and the places that have been um, disempowered need to be given more power. We need to give women and people of color and animals and the earth more sovereignty and ability to ask for what they need and get what they need. And we are all sharing this space together, right? So this has to be an ongoing conversation. It can't just be a new rule. This group is in power now. We definitely want to, to practice adaptation and flexibility and open-mindedness. And one of the ways this is coming through in the chart is with Mars uh, and Lilith in Aquarius. Now, Mars entered Aquarius back in May, and um, then it turned retrograde. And it turned retrograde in the end of June, this is around June 26th. And uh, it retrograded all the way back into the late degrees of Capricorn. <clears throat> and it reached Capricorn again in August. And then it turned wrecked um, in the last week of August. And by the um, second week of September, which was just a few days ago, um, Mars re-entered uh, Aquarius, excuse me, not a few days ago, a few weeks ago. And then in the last few weeks, it has completed its retrograde. And that means that it got back to the place in the sky where it was when it turned around. And so in the new moon chart, Mars is at that degree angle. It's at nine degrees. And this is a significant degree point because it is the completion of this cycle. So if you think all the way back to May of this year, what was going on then? And between uh, uh, then and now, what are the experiences that you've been having when it comes to your sense of, um, I, I want to say, relational and social patterning? Aquarius is a sign that rules our nervous systems. Um, it, it gets expressed particularly in the sympathetic motor balance, the way that information comes in and is processed and reaches the central nervous system, our brains and our spines, and then our brains and our spines send out impulses and then we act. And this is uh, how Aquarius functions. Aquarius is an air sign, but it's called fixed air. It's the middle of a season. And fixed air is habit. It's when thought uh, becomes automatic and the nervous system kind of takes over. 
So this is very important um, because patterns make the world go round and it's part of our evolution and our biology, right? Like we learn things and then we need to know those things. We can't learn them every day. But this is also how bias uh, is, is learned and taught is through repetition and it comes in very subtly and we don't know it. And so in Aquarius, we have fixed thought. And so this could be, um, you know, you grow up in a town where, uh, I don't know, there are no black people. And if you're a white person living in a town with no black people and you only see black people on TV and your parents are talking to you from their experience, which they've also grown up in that town, you're going to grow up with a certain idea about who black people are. Right? And that's called a bias. That's called implicit bias. And then you're going to move to a city, uh, go off to college, move to a city, and you're, you are either going to have your biases kind of blown and shattered, and you're going to learn that you are, uh, that, you know, that your assumptions were wrong, um, or you'll have them confirmed. But either way, you'll still have that kind of innate conditioning underlying you. So this is the thing about working with bias and one of the reasons why we all need to continue waking up to bias is that it's patterned and it's very, 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 very deep. And so again, we've all been socialized in systems that value supremacy, where one group of people is better than the other and we have ideas about those kinds of people. You know, you see a person that presents in a particular way and pretty much automatically you think you know a thing or two about that person and you may or may not be right, but the, the initial impulse to treat them a certain way or to make assumptions comes in automatically. And with Aquarius, we're dealing also with social systems. So Aquarius rules groups and networks. And as the opposite sign of Leo, um, Leo is the kind of creative special self, Aquarius is uh, other people as a group. And the Leo-Aquarius balance is, is really about uh, acceptance and specialness and whether or not um, we are... Um, I said accepted already, but, but whether or not we're recognized and if we have a place in the group. And the group is a really important um, construct, right? And, and, and situation, it's not a construct, it's, it's an actual um, need for all of us is to have a social group that we belong to. This creates safety. It's also part of our evolution. And for the last number of months since May, Mars has been traversing this terrain. And Mars is an energy that separates and severs. And Mars has been going retrograde. And so with, with retrograde, um, all the RE words apply. And so we remain with impulses. We research them. We renegotiate them. We repattern. And in the place of the nervous system and our social impulses, a lot of stuff has been coming up. And it comes up again and again. It repeats. And then we have to uh, look at it and deal with it and learn from it. And as Mars has been going through its retrograde, it's been working with the South Node and also with Lilith. And the South Node is the opposite of the North Node. Um, the nodal axis is where eclipses happen. And Lilith is the lunar apogee. So these are like points in the sky. 
And again, astrology is a language of metaphor. So I'm telling you a story right now. So Mars has been passing uh, over these points or with these points that are also kind of shifting points. The story of the South Node is that this is where we release things. This is old information. This is uh, the past karma. And with Mars and the South Node working together, there's a lot of release that's been happening and situations that arise that feel familiar. So when you think back to uh, May and then the time since then, what have you been going through in terms of your social experience and the way that you recognize bias and pattern in yourself that feels familiar? And now layered on top of that is the presence of Lilith. And Mars has been traveling with Lilith for a while now. They were together in Capricorn last year. They've moved into Aquarius together now. And Lilith is such a profound figure in this chart because Mars and Lilith are uh, holding the top of the chart. It's called the Midheaven. And they are working together. And Lilith is a really old, old story. And it might be the first story of uh, supremacy. And the story of Lilith is the story of the disarticulated and the disavowed uh, or, or the demonized feminine. And I, I really think it's important right now to note that if you're listening, I'm going to say a word like feminine, but the feminine is within all of us. It's not that just women are then demonized. It's that the feminine instinct in all of our bodies starts to get cut off. And the feminine instinct is connection and it's also cycles. So female bodies cycle. Lilith's first sign was the tree, is the tree of life, um, roots going down into the earth, branches spreading out into heaven with two snakes intertwining around the trunk. And this is ancient symbology that speaks to the feminine uh, experience of the phenomenal world that life comes and goes and life eats life and there are cycles of darkness and there are cycles of light and things take form and those forms grow and express and then they die and this is knowledge that we all came from at some point and if we if we kind of go back a moment and think about what I was saying before about accumulation and condensing of power and how Pluto acts to, to really push us to confront power. What is the thing that makes us feel the most powerless? Death, right? It, it is something that we can't get away from and it's coming for everybody. And on some level, whenever we seek to accumulate and condense power, we're trying to avoid our own death. And Lilith's symbology, I think, really speaks to this. And at the time that her symbology changed, we were, we were changing in our human experience from a people who recognized the earth and its cycles as divine to a people who were turning their attention to solar light. And solar light um, kind of cut off from earth light or earth magic. And so the one God, the sky God, um, this kind of more masculine yang energy started to take predominance and, uh, and, and seek to assert itself. And so we have this old story of Lilith and Adam being the first human creations of God. And this is, you know, man and woman then are created by God, whatever. And um, they're equal. 
And then Lilith is cast out of the garden for advocating for her own equality. This is the story. And then Eve is created from Adam's rib. And so we have the, the casting out of the true feminine and the replacement with the, the ideal woman, right? Eve, the perfect woman. But then Eve is not so perfect because she listens to the snake and she eats the apple. And so women are to be mistrusted because they all carry this sin or this essence within them that is the feminine. Their bodies cycle, they bleed. And since then, the feminine has been cut down. It's been systematically disempowered and cut down. And this happens all over the world. It does not just happen in the Judeo-Christian lines. It, it happens in all kinds of cultures. It is supremacy. It is uh, an idea that one group of bodies is better than another group of bodies. And it's the squashing and the squelching of the feminine instinct in all of us. And so this then turns into socializing boys to be violent and girls to be complacent. And so Lilith at the top of the chart, together with Mars, and Mars has just passed Lilith, you know, the, the rage that has been uh, catalyzed and, and strengthened by the events of the last few weeks is remarkable. It is really remarkable how many people are so pissed off. And it's not just women. There's a lot of men who are real pissed off. And I want to say um, that this is important, that this kind of anger at uh, the the distraction and the um, severing from our own humanity. This is a human experience. This is not about gender divide. A lot of people are angry because this is an unjust system and this rage is now starting to get catalyzed. The new moon is conjunct Ceres. I, I didn't say this before. Ceres is an asteroid that um, also describes seasons. Um, I'm feeling that that's important to say right now that uh, there's a tide that's shifting, and, and this, I think, is quite obvious. And part of how the tide is shifting is that this pain and anger that really has been accumulating now for how long? I don't know how many thousands of years, but it is very entrenched in our collective uh, soma, in, a, in, our, in the bodies that we share and that we've created. This is starting to come out. So... Lilith has to take her place. We have to start telling different stories about Lilith. And I do want to suggest that one possible story is not that Lilith was cast out of the garden, but that she chose to go. And this is kind of referencing a little bit of like Freudian psychology here, which is that there's some kind of original wound around abandonment. And you know, I, I had a friend who was a therapist and they said at one point, you know, it's always a parental wound. Like these are always the worst because in your infantile experience, your parents are everything. And when they leave, there's such intense tragedy and abandonment that happens in your experience, even if they're just leaving to go to the fucking bathroom, you know? And if you have kids, like you've experienced this too, where it's like the attachment from your children because they identify as you is so intense. And then you leave and it's like, you, there you go. You've just messed up your kid. Like they're traumatized. 
And I think in a certain way, what we're dealing with is this uh, abandonment wound that comes through the masculine expression. And again, this is not just men, but it comes through the masculine expression. And then what does it do? It seeks to maintain control. I'm going to get her to stay. I'm going to put these rules around her. I'm going to take away sovereignty out of her body. I'm going to disempower her in every single possible way I can. I'm going to rape her. She's mine. This is the cultural landscape that we live in. Again, it doesn't matter where you live. This is everywhere. Rape culture is the, is the world culture right now. It's happening everywhere. And it happens in how we treat our environment and, and how we treat our earth. We're all doing this. We're all complicit in it. It is not just between women and men. We live in an exploitative, supremacist, brainwashing <laughs> mind state. This is how we've been trained, right? We want to decondition, we want to deprogram. And part of, of Mars cycle through late Aquarius has been, excuse me, early Aquarius has been doing this. And the other thing that makes me think that we're starting to do this, or one of the other things, is the ruler of the new moon. And so Venus uh, being the I should say rulers of the new moon. Um, Venus is the exoteric ruler, the traditional ruler of Libra, and Uranus is the esoteric ruler, the soul-centered ruler of Libra. I'm going to try and talk about both in my last few minutes. So Venus on um, the day of the new moon has just recently turned retrograde. Venus turned retrograde on October 5th. And so this is just a couple of days after she stations, it stations. And as it does, it is conjunct the asteroid Persephone. I just love this imagery right now that Persephone is um, another figure of the kind of demonized woman. This is the demonized maiden. Um, her archetype is the young woman who is curious about her sexuality and then she gets swallowed by darkness and the god of the underworld. And so we have another kind of cultural myth around women and their sexuality and the, the meaning of feminine sexuality as bad and as leading to darkness. And Venus has just turned retrograde and it's, it's going to make its way back to the early degrees of Libra. And as it does, it's going to pass um, this amazing conjunction, which is um, the, the asteroid Medusa. I've been kind of interested in asteroids a lot lately after um, spending some time with Demetra George and Melanie Reinhardt, two really amazing feminist astrologers. And Demetra is, is one of the people who's really been like studying asteroids and there's 12,000 of them and um, you pull them in and there's some really interesting names. I'm hoping to get to another one soon, but Medusa is con conjunct the, the vertex. Um, and the vertex is, uh, a, again, it's a point in the sky. It represents the intersection of the ecliptic and the, the vertical axes. And this is a place where in astrology charts, it is really remarkable how often big changes happen around the vertex and things really shift. And so in the new moon chart, Medusa and, and the vertex are conjunct. And so here we have again, a demonized feminine and another rape story. So Medusa's story is that she, again, was a maiden. She was raped by the god Poseidon in Venus's temple. And then Venus is pissed off that this happened in her temple. And we can take this as symbology for her temple is her body. And she turns Medusa into uh, a, a monster who can turn men to stone with her gaze. 
right? So if we look at the symbol, not at the story, we have anger, justified anger over rape. And the embodiment of anger, then I'm going to turn you to stone with my gaze. Fuck you, motherfucker. And then we have uh, the continuation of the story, which is, um, is it Perseus? I'm forgetting the name right now, who decapitates her and then uses her head to fight his war. And here we have the decapitation of feminine anger and the use of that force to then fight the, the war of supremacy, of misogyny. And aren't all of these just amazing metaphors to think about in these last couple of weeks with deciding votes uh, for the nomination of a rapist onto the Supreme Court, deciding votes being cast by women, and uh, the kind of accumulation of power that you know exists also in women's bodies, and particularly in white women's bodies who have access to the, the money of the GOP um, and the power and who are also seeking to maintain their own place. So when I'm saying like, this isn't about a group of people, this is an instinct that exists within us all. It doesn't matter if you're a female, it doesn't matter if you're black, it doesn't matter if you're trans, you also have the instinct to accumulate your own power. And maybe your group of people has not been able to do it or not been able to hold on to it, but you see it all the time in circles within circles that there are circles of people who are marginalized and in their own circle, there's supremacy. So this is all of us, right? I just want to say that. Now on the world stage, this figure, this image, the, the mythology that's being played out right now is remarkable. Venus is going retrograde. It's going to go all the way back into the late degrees of Libra. And as it does, it's going to uh, touch upon Medusa and um, the vertex. And by the time we get to the next um, full moon, the asteroid Medusa will be at the place where Venus is now at the new moon. And the moon will be on Uranus. And Uranus, as the other ruler, the kind of modern ruler of this new moon, happens to be, and here I just think this is so hilarious, it happens to be conjunct the asteroid Brett. <laughs> so I was saying a moment ago that I've been interested in asteroids. You know, Demetra has given some talk that I was listening to, and she was like, oh, there's 12,000 asteroids, and here's this list, and I bet your name is on it. And it's so interesting to pull up asteroids because astrology is... Uh, is an access point into the Akashic realm, into the etheric plane, where all information is present at all times. And so when we have representation markers, like the name Brett, we make a story about it, that's all. But because astrology is access to the etheric realm, and I know I'm getting real woo, um, we can say that, you know, the future has already been written in some ways, as and, and the past is still happening. So on the next full moon, um, and that's the 25th of October, the, the full moon will be conjunct the planet Uranus, which is the awakener, and Uranus uh, will, and the asteroid Brett will be conjunct the planet Uranus. So I don't know what this means, but I do think that in the next uh, two weeks, there's a lot more surprise that's coming out. And um, I haven't really talked very much about Scorpio and this amazing energy of Scorpio that is just saturating our experience right now with Jupiter there since last 
fall last November, the, the minute Jupiter entered Scorpio, the Me Too movement started, basically. And, um, you know, Scorpio is deep, deep feelings and uh, unspoken feelings and secrets and um, shame. <laughs> and Jupiter is just enlarging all of it. And all of the uh, movement through Scorpio right now with Venus, these asteroids, and the upcoming full moon is stimulating Scorpio. So of course, we've got exposés that are coming out right now about the wealth in the Trump family, and Robert Mueller's investigation is still going on. Um, but I think there's a lot of things that are still coming out, but also in our own experiences, there are things that are still coming out. And so this is a really dynamic and shifting time when it comes to each of us on an internal level, again, recognizing our own patterning, recognizing where we have been medusad and where we have medusad other people, you know, and all of us have done this. All of us have made some um, proclamation, you know, of like, oh, it's your fault, you know, and I'm therefore going to seek to decapitate you. I'm going to take your power away from you in whatever way I can. And all of us have had that done to us. And it might not be as extreme as actually cutting off someone's head. But again, if we think about the symbol, we can understand this as an instinct that arises in all of us. So when I'm talking about these stories, when I'm talking about Lilith as the face of the feminine that is rejected and cast out, or maybe the one who chooses to leave and then is demonized for it, this is not actually about Lilith as a story. It's not actually about women as a group of people. It's about all of us who have both had the experience of being rejected and cast out and who have also chosen to leave and been uh, demonized for it or have that fear about it because it's Aquarius, right? And the fear of being cast out or the fear of being demonized is one of the strongest mechanisms in Aquarius. We want to belong. So as you listen to, to the story that I'm telling, like let it come into you as symbolism, as a suggestion for sensations that maybe um, can illuminate your own experience uh, more. There's a lot of other things I wanted to talk about. Again, you know, I recorded a couple of times, talked about different things, different times. This will be the recording we're going with since it's the morning of the new moon. Um, I think the, the place that I really want to leave it is with Neptune and, uh, the, the ruler of the new moon, Venus, um, is in a trine with Neptune and they're both retrograde. They're both going internal. Neptune, um, it, it can be represented in a lot of ways. And one of the ways that it can get represented is confusion. And I think that there's a lot of confusion that's swirling right now and a lot of stories that are coming up and stories that are being turned and manipulated in ways that we're getting confused about how we actually feel and what we actually mean. And that's going on. So in the retrograde, it's important that each of us take the time over the course of the next month as Venus is retrograde the whole time through November to really sit with the truth of our own experience. And as I was talking about before with Pluto, to let things that are uncomfortable actually permeate and come in. And don't seek to act right away. Don't get caught up in telling the story. This is what Neptune does. It spins some story and we think that it's real. And then we actually lose track of, of 
reality and our own presence and ability to feel. And Neptune, when it is expressing itself in a, in a uh, kind of beautiful, divine way, is feeling and empathy and deep, deep compassion and a recognition that there is actually no separation. And with the, the, the concepts that I've been putting forwards, this idea of no separation is an important one because in the external surface uh, of it, it can really seem like we're separate. Oh, you have more power than me. Um, that group of people, you know, they're definitely really different. And yeah, we're all pink inside, but our experiences are so different. Yes, that is true. We're also part of the same stuff. And the experience of needing to consolidate power and uh, being fearful of losing it and then imposing suffering on other people um, is also extremely distressing for the psyche and the nervous system. It might really satisfy the ego, but on a cellular level, it feels awful. And you know this if you have ever been in a position where you dominate and need to hold on to your own power because you spend your time being fearful and being pissed off and being confrontational and uptight. And if you can let it drop and let go and actually feel with other people, then you get connected. Then you don't have to worry so much about maintaining your own power because everybody's kind of holding it with you and we're all adapting together. So with Neptune and its retrograde, I, I think that this information is coming in really strongly and it's something that we can start to incorporate. I do also want to say that, um, again, a lot of the, the external uh, news cycles and things that are producing like these waves of obsession and anxiety are taking away attention from much larger and important matters. Um, but I don't think that they're separate. So what's going on with climate right now is one of those things. Um, I also want to kind of just acknowledge that there has been, um, I, d I actually don't know the results. I haven't looked, um, but a recent election in Brazil where, um, a Trump like figure who was, who's definitely been supported by the United States, um, and the Trump like parties, um, ha has been put forward and that, um, systems of control and domination and supremacy are, kind of wrapping themselves around the world right now. It's really not just local. Um, this is showing up in our environment and in the ways that we're treating our resources. Um, and this is old news, right? But uh, exploitation and extraction from the earth is part of rape culture. And the ways that we consume all the time and are constantly trying to um, make it better, make it better, make it better, make it better. Um, this is also part of the same stuff. So as we address the things that are internal, I do really think that we're going to start to see an external shift. This doesn't mean to stop paying attention to what's external um, because the external provides a mirror for us to see ourselves in it. I'm going to stop there. Um, I'm at an hour and six minutes, so lots more to say, but I'm going to stop. Um, you can follow me on Instagram. Just look for Embodied Astrology. 
And I post regular updates there about transits that are happening day by day. So if you uh, want to stay updated with me, um, I, I know a lot of people uh, like writing as opposed to listening. Some people like listening as opposed to writing, but you can have both. Um, so check out uh, my profile on Instagram and follow me there for more updates throughout the week. And also I have a Libra season planner that's available now and a Scorpio season planner that is coming. And uh, these planners are available to subscribers. So if you have a couple extra dollars to share um, and you want to go over to embodiedastrology.com and you can sign up to be a $3 a month member, $30 a month member, $300 a month member, whatever's in your budget, um, you're supporting this project to continue and I'll send you a free planner. And it's a PDF, you can print it out um, and you can use it to kind of think about uh, your own life, what's going on and track your experiences with the lunar cycles and the um, planetary aspects. So um, please practice with the guided meditation. The meditation for this new moon is called Dissolving Gender. And um, I think that the gender binary, which is something that I almost didn't talk about at all, um, but I did talk about a little bit, I think it's one of the most destructive forms of brainwashing and patterning that we're working with right now. Um, that there is such a thing as men and women at all and that we are divided and somehow different, I think is so fucking far from the truth of our shared humanity um, and really doesn't appreciate the spectrum of, of gender or sex that exists in the natural world. Um, and the quicker we can move beyond it, I think the quicker we can start to kind of open our minds to the spectrum that exists between all perceived polarities. Um, so head on over uh, to that link and do the guided meditation. Your audio horoscopes are available for you. And uh, don't forget about the affirmations at embodiedastrology.com. I'll catch you on October 25th, if not a few days before, with some information about the full moon in Taurus. Until then, keep doing your work, stay present, stay safe, stay engaged, and listen deeply. Thank you so much for listening to me and really wishing you the best and happy new moon. Bye for now.